You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Well, hello, Dressage Radio podcast listeners. It's Ashley Winch from Kansas City, Missouri. You might know me as the podcast operations coordinator around here at Horse Radio Network. For the next few weeks, we will be revisiting some of our favorite episodes from Stephanie and Aviva over at the Dressage Today podcast. We also wanted to take a moment to thank you all for the love, light, and healing energy following Phil's passing. With that, let's hear from our friends over at Fry's Insurance about liability before we dive into blanketing ahead of the cooler weather, because believe it or not, it is on its way. Welcome to Horse Insurance 101 by Fry's Equine Insurance at friesequineinsurance.com. Hi, everyone. Glenn here, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of Horses in the Morning. One of the most requested segments we've gotten from listeners is about insurance for your horse and your farm. Susan Strauser is here from Fry's Insurance and has agreed to help us with the five-part series on insurance, helping us all understand what we are buying and what we need. If you missed last month's, we discussed horse mortality and health insurance for your horse, and you can find it at horseradionetwork.com slash insurance. Today in part two, we are talking about liability insurance. So Susan, if I'm a private horse owner and I have horses at home and maybe show, but I'm not a professional, what do I need for liability insurance? Good question, Glenn. Um, What we have are a couple different liabilities insurance, depending on what you're doing with your horses. So if you're a private horse owner, someone who owns their horse for pleasure, for show, Uh, Typically, you keep your horse at home or possibly boarded at a facility. We have what's called a private horse owner's liability policy that um, typically covers between two and five horses. And we're going to cover if they, the horse themselves, cause a liability incident uh, to somebody else or somebody else's property. So if my horse gets loose, crashes the fence, goes over and kicks the side in of my neighbor's brand new Tesla... Uh, does it cover that? Yes. Okay. That's the intent of the policy. Okay, okay. So if, it, yes. if my horse does damage to other people's stuff. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Typically what we would see is a horse gets out on the road, gets hit by the car. We're going to take care of the car and the people in the car. Or okay. perhaps you, um, the horse is outside, backs into one of your guests' car. Um, we've had one set on the roof of the car yeah. and did quite a bit of damage. Yeah, we so had one actually do problem. that too, where they sat on the side of the car and smashed it all in. Yes, yeah. yes. So what? But what's different with the homeowner's policy? Does my normal homeowner's policy cover that? Well, that's something you would have to check with a homeowner's agent because all policies across the different companies are written differently. And A regular homeowners is probably going to cover liability maybe on your own property. But once you leave your property, then it's really how that policy is written. So does does the private horse owner's liability policy, it's a PHO for short, does that cover if I take my horse away to a show, my horse gets loose? Every show we've ever been to, there's been a loose horse. Um, My horse gets loose and then crashes into the car. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're going to cover your liability, whether it's on your property, right off of your property, or while you're at a show or maybe trail riding. What about boarding facilities? We board our horses. 
um, we get that question a lot. What if I board my horse? The barn owner has coverage. And that's probably true. Um, however, the barn owner's policy covers the barn owner and not the borders in the barn. So your private horse owner's liability would then extend to that boarding facility for your coverage. So I was wondering, a scenario came up over the weekend. So we're driving around, we're, we board, it's a very nice neighborhood, very wealthy neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If if I'm driving my cart around, my horse bolts, and you know I take out the neighbors, whatever, uh, and will it cover in that instance then? Yes, okay. because your liability policy is going to cover um, you as you travel. So it it follows the horse. Okay, a yep. liability policy is written um, with. We typically see one to ten horses. Once you get up over ten horses then you switch over to a different type policy. But we name the horses or the number of horses on the policy. And so we're covering each individual horse up to the limits of your policy. Gotcha. Okay. I understand now. So what happens if I'm running an equine business? What happens if I have a boarding stable or, uh, you know, I'm running a training business out of my barn? Then what? Okay, then you need to look at the equine liability policy, which is designed for someone who is running a business. So if you're training horses, you're doing lessons, you're running a boarding program. Now, ideally, you would write that in with a farm policy, which we'll discuss next time. Um, But if you uh, maybe you lease a barn or you're an independent, so you travel from place to place, then you need a liability policy that's geared toward a business operation. Most homeowners policies will exclude coverage if you are running a business. So that's why you need to be able to pick your liability up somewhere else. Could you give me some examples of where that would come into play? Sure. If you are, um, say you're giving lessons in your barn and a student would fall off their horse during the lesson, uh, then your liability policy would come into play because that's a bodily injury to a third party. And we would first defend you. And then if you are found negligent, then then we'll pay up to the limits of your policy. But it could be that maybe you misjudge the student's writing level um, or and put them on a horse that they couldn't handle. Or it could be that the environment wasn't safe. We, we had a claim where a, a lesson was being given in an arena and outside the arena, Uh, Somebody pulled a weed whacker cord and started a weed whacker just as the horse was coming around the inside of the arena. That's usually when it happens. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so in that case, that was an unsafe environment um, that was provided. So liability did come into play then. When I'm driving around the neighborhoods, that kind of stuff happens almost every time you're going by. They wait until you get right in front of the yard to start the (laughs) tractor, you know, or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, but that leads me to the next question, because in many states like Florida, they have equine liability laws that, and, you know, the the signs are out of the boarding stable we're at now. The signs are out that this is dangerous and you're doing this at your own risk. Doesn't that cover us on those states? I know Kentucky had that too. Yes, many states have an equine liability law. And so, yes, they do go a long way in keeping a lot of lawsuits um, out of courts. However, the person giving the lesson or the trainer or the property owner could be negligent. And that's where you need insurance. And plus, you have to look at um, not 
not the all the rules of these liability laws are followed the way they should be. So, for example, you may not have the proper wording in your liability release form or your state may require that you post a sign. So if you don't follow the rules of that law of your particular state, then you could have an incident. And, and again, you could be at fault, such as the example of, um, you know, the weed whacker being started outside the arena. That's not going to be covered under those equine liability laws. Uh, and, you know, I thought about that, and I often wondered if, you know, negligence still comes into play. If you're negligent, you're negligent. And that, that never stops somebody from suing you anyway, you know. So, oh, exactly. Right. I, I tell my clients, if it were my child and they were hurt during a lesson, I, I don't know that what I signed would be, would stop me from filing the lawsuit, especially if I thought the instructor was negligent. Um, so, you know, when you look at your liability policy, for what you pay in a year, you're probably only paying for about one, two, maybe three hours of an attorney's fee. And so it's always good to have that peace of mind that these liability policies will provide you. So listeners will get mad if I don't ask. You brought it up. What is it, what's it cost for the liability insurance? Very good. Yes, that is the uh, big question we get. So a pr the private horse owners liability policies typically run about $275 a year. Now that's going to vary depending on the number of horses that you um, that you own. And so that can go up from there, but that's going to be your base amount. Um, as far as the uh, equine liability policies, those premiums are based on the activity you do. So for someone who's giving, you know, maybe two or three lessons a year, you may be, you know, looking at around five, $600 a year, but the more you do, the higher your risk is. And so the higher the premium is. So you can always call um, our agency and we'll be happy to get some information from you and be able to give you some estimated quotes. Very good. And one thing, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was horse clubs, events, shows, things like that. Do, do you do liability insurance for those? Yes, we do. So let's start with horse clubs. Um, as a club, you do have a liability exposure, especially if you're um, going to different locations to host shows. Uh, you may have meetings. So because the club is an entity, it could be sued if it it as a club or its members cause a liability incident. So if you're having a meeting and somebody starts a fire um, on accident within the meeting place, well, then the, the club needs to have their liability insurance. Now, under a club policies, members are covered when they're acting on behalf of the club. So if you're at a show and you have a club member who is running extension cords for the sound system and somebody falls over that extension cord, then that member was acting as a club member. So we're going to provide coverage for both the club and that member. We won't provide coverage if they're acting on their own behalf. So they've entered a horse into the show and caused a liability incident. Then they would need their private horse owners. Gotcha. And the same applies for horse shows? Exactly. Now, um, horse shows are covered a little differently because they're covered individually. Um, if you don't, if you don't have a club policy or you don't need one, then you would have an individual show liability policy or event policy. And so that's going to provide you that same coverage. If, if you or one of your volunteers um, causes a liability incident, damages someone's car, or someone gets hurt, then you will be provided uh, your defense under this policy. Very good. And so how do they get a liability quote? What do they do? 
Well, they need to give us a call in the office and we can get some basic information from them. Um, A lot of times we can give an estimated quote over the phone, but that's just an estimate because everything needs to run past underwriters and they will um, look at your risk and then give us premiums for you. But give us a call and we'll be able to help you with that. And the phone number is 614-875-3711 or send an email from the website, right? They can just go to the website at friesequineinsurance.com. Exactly. And it's F-R-Y-S, equineinsurance.com. Listen yes. the next time as we discuss farm owners' policies. No words can describe the depth of the bond between a horse and his person. A kiss at the gate just before you turn him out. The soft touch of his muzzle on your hand as he scoops up the treat out of your palm. The warmth of his body under your legs as you saunter bareback across the pasture. The beat of his hooves as you gallop in perfect rhythm cross country. The sensation of flying as you clear the oxer. The sense of peace that comes over you as you walk together down the quiet trail. The sound of him contently eating his dinner. The feel of his warm, soft coat under your hand. The feeling you get when it's just you and your horse. It's why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Equijewel. Fight back against an energy crisis that can impact condition and performance. Equijewel is a high-fat, low-starch and sugar formula that was developed to safely meet the energy needs of your horse. The horse that matters to you matters to us. It is the season of pumpkin spice lattes, falling leaves, crisp air, and fresh, spooky horses. It's a fun time of year, right? <laughs> uh, it's also time to pull your blankets out of storage or maybe even invest in new ones. Whether we want it to be or not, blanketing season is upon us. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Paulson, and in this episode of the Dressage Today podcast, I thought it was only appropriate that we tackled the surprisingly complex topic of blanketing. So I went straight to one of my favorite equestrian gear experts, Jennifer Hetzler of Equus Now in Columbus, Ohio. This tack shop has been one of my longtime haunts over the years, and since these guys are based in Ohio, I can tell you they know a thing or two about horsekeeping in cold weather. You might think you know all about blanketing, but do you know the difference between American and European size increments? Do you know what the term drop refers to? What about a clever tip to test the waterproof strength of your blanket? Jen addresses all of these topics and more including the basics, like fabric terminology, how to correctly measure your horse, and how to choose the most economic blanketing system for your horse. We hope you enjoy our conversation, and we hope that these tips help you shop with confidence. Hey there, I'm Jennifer Malachi. And I'm Lindsay Paulson. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage-related. Our conversations span the world of dressage, from leading riders to local-level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, horse care tips, and stories to inspire your own dressage journey. Tune in, then tack up. 
Uh, Jen, do you want to start off by telling me just a little bit about yourself and about your background and about Equus Now? Sure. Hi, everybody. How are you today? So happy to be here. Um, okay. Well, I go back pretty far. Um, I started riding when I was about five years old um, and was involved in hunters and jumpers and did equitation scene and all that stuff. Took a little bit of hiatus uh, after college and worked uh, with racehorses for about 10 years. We had flat and steeplechase horses, which was a great education for me. Then I got back into the hunter-jumper scene and uh, eventually bred and trained and sold my own show ponies. Then got out of that and got into the wholesale department uh, when I worked for Weatherbeta uh, USA for five years. Uh, I've now, since then, I've worked, uh, came out here from New Jersey uh, in uh, now in Ohio and work for Equus Now, which I've been here for 15 years and very happy to be a part of Equus Now. We are ex- recently have just expanded into the Cincinnati area and uh, look for more in the future. Okay, so the topic of blanketing is a huge, overwhelming topic that we could probably talk about for days. Um, but we're going to try to keep things as simple as we can. Um, and just the goal today is kind of to give everyone some helpful tips so they can make educated buying decisions about blankets. Um, so why don't we start just by going over some blanketing basics, kinds of blankets and their functions? Sure, you're right. Blanketing, I could talk to to you about for hours, but uh, we'll make it simple. Um, blanketing your horse can be, is a very important thing, and um, there are very bunch of different things you can do. There's a difference. For, let's start out with a stable. Uh, stable sheets. Uh, function of a stable sheet is uh, number one to keep your horse clean if you're at a horse show or if you're getting ready for a clinic or something like that. Uh, that's really that's a nice thing. Um, also. Uh, it does when it's there's, there's a little bit of a chill in the air. It does keep them a little, gives a little bit of warmth, not a lot because there's no fill, but just a little bit of, of warmth. Um, then there's a stable blanket. Uh, stable blankets they come with fill, t- several different types of fill. They could be anywhere from a 100 gram fill to a 300 and upwards gram fill. Now, stable blankets are not designed to be turned out. Um, because there's stitching in them. There's also a different type of nylon that covers uh, a stable blanket, so they're not designed for turnout blankets to be turned out in. Um, although, then we get into the turnout part of it. Turnout sheets, uh, turnouts are designed to be waterproof and breathable. They have a longer drop, per se, than a uh, stable sheet would be would have. Um, t- turnout blankets also come in uh, different fills, anywhere from a 100-gram fill to a 300 and upwards uh, gram fill. Um, the 100 to 300 would be considered a medium weight. Uh, anywhere 300 plus would be a heavy weight. Uh, so uh, there's different densities in uh, turnout blankets too, which we'll get into later in, in the fabric. Um, and there's also, uh, they come with leg straps. Some do, some do come with leg straps. Some don't come with leg straps. Uh, it's the designs of certain blankets make it so they don't need leg straps. Um, some people don't like leg straps. Some are gusseted, some are not gusseted. So there's a lot to be, you know, to pick over through there. Um, but that's why you have us. So you can come to us and we can answer all those questions for you. Okay. So when we're talking about the best materials um, that are used in blanketing that are breathable, waterproof, are also hopefully 
not indestructible, but difficult to destruct at least. Um, why don't we talk about the most popular materials and what the pros and cons are of each of those? Now, when, number one, I just said before, you're not going to turn your horse out in a stable blanket or a stable sheet. Reason being, they're not waterproof. Um, uh, water, you know, saying uh, stable sheets made out of cotton, of course, it's not going to be waterproof. Uh, a stable blanket's made out of some of a lesser nylon, but it's been stitched. Anytime there's a stitch, stitch in a blanket, let's say a seam down the middle of it or down the back of it, uh, it's not waterproof. Any stitching on a blanket will deem that blanket not waterproof. Also, the density of the fabric that a stable blanket is made out of is not really designed to withstand, you know, anything as a turnout would be. That being said, there are several people that use turnout blankets as a stable blanket. It's not a rule. It's not a law. It's not against the law. <laughs> per se. You, can use a, you can use a turnout blanket as a stable blanket. Now, turnout blankets are great. Turnout blankets tend to have a longer drop, uh, drop being from the top of the, the withers down down to uh, say the beginning, the top, you know, not to the knee, but to the beginning of their legs, um, so their shoulder. Uh, that is that is the drop is what you want to consider with a turnout. The reason why the drop is a little bit longer is to help keep the horse drier, um, and they also tend to have a tail flap in the back, which a tail flap also helps to keep the wind and rain from going up uh, through you know the, uh, over on the horse's back. Um, there are also blankets, uh, and I'm, I apologize. I meant fair, forgot to mention this with stable blankets too. You can actually have a hood that you can have attached that you can attach or, or it's de- or it's attached already to your stable blanket with turnout blankets. That is the same case. You can have a hood attached to the blanket. You can buy a blanket like that, or you could buy a blanket with a detachable hood. Cause some people like to take the hood off. The hood tends to be a little bit lower in fill than, say, the blanket would be. Reason being that you don't want to sweat the horse's neck out. Um, so uh, you can buy a 300-gram blanket and have a 100-gram hood, which is great. With the fabrics, uh, you have your nylon. You have your ballistic nylon. Um, then you have, like, your polypropylene nylon mix, uh, which uh, the measuring of that is called the, the denier. Um, and you want those fabrics to be waterproof and breathable. So, um, you're the, the higher the denier on a blanket, the more dense it is. So that, but it's also going to be a little bit heavier. It's denser fabric, um, and it's more durable, but it's also going to be heavier. So, um, if you're going to be having a horse turned out per se with a bunch of horses, you want a higher denier. Um, and denier doesn't stop at 1200. It goes all the way up to 16, I think even 1800, uh, in some blankets, I think it's 2000. So you want the, the higher denier, the better the density, density, the tougher the blanket. But once again, it's a heavier fabric too. Um, you also want the fabric is for turnouts. You want them to be breathable and you want them to be ripstop. Um, breathability is very important because you don't want your horse turned out and something that's going to make them sweat all day long. Cause if you're not home, you know, to take care of your horse. Um, there's also ballistic nylon, which has become very popular nowadays. Um, ballistic nylon is what uh, bulletproof vests are made out of. And it's a very, very durable pra- uh, fabric. It's a little bit lighter than the, than a heavy or denser, denser uh, denier. Um, it's also a 
um, it's, you know, as I said, it's, it is ripstop, um, and it's, it's, it's a longer lasting, it's also waterproof. It's a longer lasting fabric. Um, I find that the, the ballistic nylon seems to be more popular nowadays. It's also more expensive. So, um, but you're going to find that in your turnouts and stable blankets. Most stable blankets would be like, say a lower denier, like say maybe like a 400 denier because they're not used for being turned out. Um, they're also have stitching in them. Uh, most staple blankets are sewn and they're not made to be breathable. Well, they are breathable. They're not made to be, um, uh, turned out. They're not made to be waterproof. Um, cause anytime you have stitching in a blanket, it's definitely going to be not waterproof anymore. Um, so if that, if that helps. One other thing that you mentioned was uh the ripstop can you tell me just a little bit more about what ripstop means um say okay let's face it (laughs) horses are big they get into trouble um they're gonna they're gonna find something to tear their blanket or some another one of their friends are gonna be playing and they're gonna rip the blanket ripstop actually means like if there's a rip in the blanket what it does is that it causes like almost like a, a square tear per se um uh like almost like a 90 degree angle type of tear. So it stops the blanket from ripping, um, which is nice to have because I've seen blankets that have been shredded to pieces by horses. And it's nice to have that rip stop option. Most blankets, I would say probably about 89% of the blankets made turnout blankets today made are made with rip stop nylon. One of the big things on a horse owner's mind is when we're blanket shopping, we want to know, how to measure the horse. <laughs> so can you, can you give us some tips or a guide on uh, how to measure them correctly for blankets? When you're coming to shop for a blanket, um, it comes, you're coming to see me at Quiz now. Um, a lot of people come in and say, well, my horse is 16 hand, 16 one hands. Okay. That's great. But the problem there is that you could have a 16 one hand horse. That's a 75 or one that's could be an 81. Um, reason being is that some horses are longer in the back than some other horses. So you're going to measure what you're going to do. And this is very important. Measure, take a tape measure center of the chest around to the center of the dock of the tail. And that will give you the measurement of what your horse is. You come in and tell us and say, okay, my horse measures a 78. Boom. You need a 78 blanket. Um, one thing to bear in mind too, there are two different types of increments in measuring blankets. Um, sizing blankets. Uh, there's the American uh, sizing increments, which uh, goes in two-inch increments. For instance, you would go 74, 76, 78, 80, as opposed to European increments, which go 75, 78, 81, 84. So if you came in and said, my horse measures a 77, which we've had, that horse would be a 78. So does that make sense? Let's talk about some of the cool different features that blankets have that are helpful to horse owners. Well, there are lots of cool different features with blankets. Nowadays, uh, it seems more po- that's gaining in popularity are the hoods, the detachable and, and blankets with attached hoods, blankets with detachable hoods. Um, that's a great option. Uh, depending upon the climate, um, in which you live, which your horses, uh, your barns heated. There's so many options. You can you can get a hood on your blanket. You can take it off when it gets hot. Um, you can uh, get different types of uh, 
fill in blankets. Like nowadays, I think uh, there's a company that makes, or a couple companies are making a 100 gram fill, which we've been asking for for years because there's, there's just a, you know, in certain climates, you can use a turnout sheet or a regular uh, stable sheet, but it's nice to have a blanket that's just a little, has a little bit of warmth just for those really, those cold nights that you need just a little bit of chill. That, I think that's a great feature. Um, I also, um, I like that different types of blankets have different types of closures nowadays. Uh, there's, uh, there's one that closes on the side. There's one that ones that close in the front. There's the closed front, uh, blankets, uh, which have been around for years. Um, and there's also kind of like the shawl, uh, like the, um, Rambo has like their closure, um, which I really like. Um, and so now they've getting they're they've gotten into the bigger, uh, tail flaps, which is to help to keep the rain and the wind from the horse, you know, going up, um, going down their back. Also, to uh, some blankets now have like almost like a turtleneck effect around the neck to keep uh, horses warm and uh, dry when they're turned out or in their stalls. So uh, there's a lot of things, uh, and I think that the the industry is always emerging with different types of fabrics to keep them more durable, so your blankets will last longer, and so horses won't rip them. So you know. There's, it's always emerging. So when do we know that it's time that we need to buy a new blanket? Well, of course, when you get a new horse. <laughs> that would be a good sign. Um, a good sign to, when it's time to buy a new blanket is when uh, the blanket, say it's too small. You know, you bought a horse, you, you bought it for your horse when he was very skinny and had no top line or anything, developed no muscles, and now it's rubbing. Okay, time to buy a new blanket. Um also, uh, if the waterproofing is gone and waterproofing is so important, um, I can get into that in a little bit, but, uh, when the waterproofing is gone, time to get a new blanket, obviously, uh, your buckles have broken or they're rusted. You can get those replaced, but if you don't have a blanket repair person in your area, get, get, just replace the blanket. Um, sir singles are gone. Things are tired. Uh, you're, it's fraying on the, on the edges. Uh, you notice that the fill is not as poofy as it was anymore it, it's just it's hard or cracked because you haven't washed it <laughs> that's that's time to get a new blanket um waterproofing um waterproofing is very important with blankets um when you it's good to it's good to wash your blankets but not a lot because every time you wash this is waterproof every time you wash a waterproof blanket the waterproofing is somewhat compromised it's not doesn't go away, but it's somewhat compromised. And the big no-no with a waterproof blanket, big no-no. You wash your waterproof blanket, do not put it in the dryer. Also, if you're going to dry that blanket, stick it in a cool place in the shade to dry. Don't stick in the sun because that also can hurt the waterproofing. Um, if the waterproofing is gone, replace simply replace the blanket. I mean, there are waterproofing specifically made for blankets, but if it's not available to you, do not use Scotchgard. Scotchgard will make the blanket unbreathable. So my advice, replace the blanket. How do you tell if your blanket is waterproof? Well, if your horse is getting wet, yes. But another way is uh, at the beginning of the season, if you want, take your blanket out of storage. If you had it in storage, turn out, put it over a bucket. Pour water on the blanket. Leave it there for a couple hours. If you take the blanket off the bucket and there's water in the bucket, your blanket's not waterproof. Cool. That's a good tip. Say we've decided it's time to buy a new blanket. Can you give our listeners just some 
points to consider when you're shopping for a new blanket. First thing you want to figure out is your budget. Um, how much do you have to spend on blankets? Uh, there are several blankets out there that, uh, that are, you know, 99 under, under $100. Um, but then there's some more expensive blankets. If you can afford the more better, you know, the more quality blankets, uh, then my feeling is go for the gusto. You're going to have it for a while, but if you can't and you have a budget, um, definitely there's things you can do. There's way that we, we can work around that. Um, a lot of times people will build, will buy a, say a top of the line turnout sheet, which not, which is not as expensive per se as a turnout blanket. And you can buy the liners. You can buy lesser expensive liners. Liners come in anywhere. They come anywhere from a hundred grams of fill to 400 grams of fill. And you can put those underneath the turnout sheet. Um, the other thing too, is that you want to talk to your trainer. If you're in a barn, your trainer may have a required list. Uh, you bring that list into your tax shop and they can certainly help you with that. Um, sometimes trainers like to get custom stuff, which we can also take care of that too. But yeah, there's lots of blankets out there that are quality blankets that, uh, you know, are good prices. Um, so that's the things you want to, what, you know, you want to think about your budget, um, what is your horse doing? Is your horse being turned out a lot? Um, uh, is your horse being turned out with other horses? That's the big thing. Is your horse being turned out by himself? So that will put into play what type of blankets you want to buy, whether you want to buy a higher denier or ballistic nylon blanket, um, whether you want to keep the price down. Because there's lots of blankets. There's lots of 1,200 denier, 600 denier blankets that uh, are like under $100. Of course, the undeniable fact of life with horses that we're always thinking about the price point. We're always thinking about the budget. Um, can you tell me more about what to expect in terms of price point um, and what maybe the best economical options are for people? And also, um, you know, are, are more expensive blankets necessarily better? Do you get what you pay for? Blanket, uh, blanket companies are nowadays are trying to keep, are, are trying to make uh, brands different models within their lines to keep it, for the budgeted rider, uh, which is great because you can find some nice blankets from some very reputable companies uh, for good prices. Um, they're also, uh, you can also, there's sometimes there's stores uh, that such as ours that gets uh, closeouts from last year that are priced very reasonably, um, which is great because, you know, um, it's a nice time to get a blanket. You can also find some like in the consignment area, make sure, but you want to make sure that that blanket is waterproof. Um, the, the really expensive blankets, one thing you want to look into is do your research. What are you looking for? Um, and each blanket will explain what their bells and whistles are. One of the other important factors besides money that we always think of when we're dealing with horses is the safety aspect of things. Um, so do you have any good safety tips for blanketing, how we can make things less risky for our horses and for the people who deal with them? I'm going to bring up a really funny story. I have a customer who came in and said, my horse, no matter what, seems to get out of his blanket. Okay. How? How? How does he get out of his blanket? Well, we, to this day, I don't think we can still figure it out because uh, she's gone out into the, into the, uh, the paddock to go get her horse and the blind, he's been standing on his blanket and everything's still attached. All the buckles, all the surcingles, all the... It, so nobody, no, unless there's a phantom person who comes and does it <laughs> just to make the person mad. I don't know. 
So with that said, you want to make sure that um, you, all of your buckles are working, your source singles are working. There's a great thing called a T-stop, which when you, you do the source singles, it's like a little rubber, uh, almost like a, it's a th- thick, it's hard to describe. It's like a thick rubber band. You put it on the T of your source single of the male part to then before you attach it and it, it, it into your uh, female part of your sur single. Um, that will help because what happens when horses lie down um, or they go to roll the, uh, those buckles or the T's, uh, the sur singles, sometimes they'll flip up and they'll come unattached uh, or they'll break uh, depending upon how big the horse is and how, you know. Um, and when that happens, then you've got a horse running around with sur singles flying all over the where, all over the place, scaring themselves, um, stepping on their sur singles, ripping them, ripping the blanket, all that stuff. Not a good scene. Um, leg straps before you take your blanket off. Always, always remember, take the leg straps off first and make sure that you detach, you attach the leg strap back to itself after you've taken it off, you know, on the, on the other side. Um, that way you're assured that you're not going to lose your leg straps and you're assured that it's completely off, not from around the horse's leg. That's very important. Um, the other thing is, um, when you put a leg strap on, crisscross them and do a little twist to the other side. No, it, it, that way they have less of a chance of, you know, it's sagging and a horse, you know, getting a foot caught in it. Um, not that that's going to happen, but I have seen it happen, you know, once in a while. Um, but basically make sure that your blankets have everything checked using bailing twine. Once your, uh, your buckles break, I understand you want to use that for a quick, if you don't have another blanket, but get it fixed or get a new blanket because bailing twine will not break. Uh, all the buckles are designed to break in case of an emergency. So that's a, that's a, those are good things to make sure about. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that, uh, you think we should add? I could talk about blankets all day long. (laughs) Um, but the thing is, is that, um, when blanketing your horse, uh, just make sure you want to check on the temperature of the barn. Is your barn heated? Is your, uh, arena heated? I mean, are, are, if the barn is heated, you don't want your horse in a really, really heavy blanket because he's going to stand there and sweat. Is your horse clipped? Uh, make sure that, you know, you blanket them accordingly because unclipped horses, um, don't necessarily need a heavier blanket. Um, clipped horses will. Um, and once again, think about your budget, think about what you, you know, plan, plan on what you need. Um, do you, do you have enough money to get something that, that, you know, a middleweight, a heavyweight and a turn and a turnout and a sheet and a state, all the whole thing, or do you not, if you don't, then, um, compromise, improvise. Uh, we can, as I said, we could use liners, you could use turnout sheets, all that stuff. Um, and the other thing that I, that I want to say is that and I meant to say in the safety thing is when a lot of people, when, uh, they'll turn their horses out, uh, a lot of barns will turn horses out say they have a stable rug on and they'll throw a turnout sheet over it and just turn the horse out and just leave it like that. You want to make sure before you throw that turnout sheet over that stable blanket, that everything is attached and check the horse underneath, make the blanket sure the blanket hasn't shift shifted, uh, or that there aren't any problems. Like the horse isn't hurt or something like that. Just don't throw the sheet over and kick them out. Cause I've seen times when horses have gone out like that and they've come back and their blankets are all shifted and they're sore. And, you know, uh, so that's a good point to look at. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing all your knowledge with us. I'm sure everybody's happy to get a get a good recap of blanketing as a whole. And I've enjoyed it. I guess I said I could talk about blankets all the time. And uh, once again, uh, you know, I work at Equus now. If you ever want to give me a call, I am here to answer any type of questions as far as blanketing is concerned. I also take care of custom blankets as well. So uh, any questions, I welcome them. Thanks so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to read more about blanketing and seasonal care for your horse, head over to dressagetoday.com. You can read tips from expert grooms like Great Britain's Alan Davies, most known for his care of equine superstar Vallegro, and even get some insights on blanketing from top veterinarians. And if you'd like to hear more from our featured guest, Jennifer Hetzler, you can check out her Dressage Day articles on topics like the ultimate winter gear guide for a horse and rider, and getting the most out of your tack and riding equipment. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. You can learn more from Dressage Today and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our new on-demand video site, dressagetodayonline.com. And for daily dressage training tips and advice, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Happy riding! The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Active Interest Media and the Equine Network.